This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Frida Liu together with Roshan Kanesan and we're listening to Enterprise Biz Bites. Today we're talking about investing sustainably and uh, with World Environment Day happening next Monday, June 5th, you know, we just thought we'd be covering these topics leading up to that day. So uh, the reason we're talking about this is also investors today are seeking value beyond straight monetary returns with mounting evidence of climate change's impact on the lives and livelihoods of people across the world and the growing demand for social equity. Investors have gotten serious about backing corporations and funds with demonstrated commitment to environmental and social responsibility. So uh, responsible investing has been around in one form or another for quite some time. Uh, pacifists may choose not to invest in companies that manufacture weapons. Uh, environmentalists <laughs> may choose to invest in companies that produce durable products from natural materials. Uh, we have Rina Neo, partner and co-founder of Ficus Venture Capital, uh, joining us in just a moment. Of course, they have their flagship 60 million ringgit fund, Ficus C, and it's also the world's first Shara-compliant venture capitalist joining us in just a moment. So one question to you, though, we'd like your, your feedback is, are you more concerned about your returns when investing or do environmental and social responsible companies take precedence when deciding? We love to hear your thoughts and you can let us know via Twitter at BFM Radio or let us know via our, via our U-Mobile number, WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. So, you know, terms like sustainable investing, impact investing and ethical investing were used to describe this activity. So these terms, however, lacked clear definition. So in 2006, nearly 20 years ago, the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment, PRI, issued a report that suggested environmental social governance be a mandatory part of corporate financial valuation. So the individuals behind the report represent a multinational gap of investment experts. Uh, because their recommendations carried such weight, markets around the world began to adopt more clearly defined responsible investment strategies such as ESG and SRI. What's the difference, yeah. Roshan? You know, Frida, we've covered a lot of ground there, or should I say you've covered a lot of ground there and, and just laid it off to me now to uh, kind of break down these two things. Because a lot of buzzwords, yeah. uh, not just ESG, SRI, but, you know, in everything we do nowadays. So let's, but ESG and SRI are two different things. They have different criteria, although they do overlap here and there. So let me break mm. it down a little bit. Um, of the invest responsible ethical investing strategies out there, environmental, social and governance strategies and social responsible investing strategies are among the two most popular ones. Mm. And when you take a look, when you break down the overlap and look beyond that, what it is ultimately about is ways to grade investment opportunities, right? It's not that, oh, this is pure uh, pure clean. No, it's mm. like, do you fail? Do you pass? Are you a straight A student? Like, how how clean are you? It's not, mm. uh, it's not a dichotomy. It's not uh, true or false. Uh, ESG specifically, a business strategy or approach used to evaluate um, an organization's financial risk, long-term sustainability, and progress to goal in terms of measurable performance areas. And the three performance areas that we're looking at Environmental, social, and governance. If you guess that with me, no prizes for anyone <laughs> out there. Uh, so environmental, when you look at that, and ESG, everyone thinks only about the environment. It's not. It's right. environmental, social, and governance. So environmental, we're talking about direct and also indirect impacts of an organization uh, on the environment and natural resources. So it's not just about buying EV bikes, but yeah. also your... Uh, are you doing other policies longer term? Are you looking at your suppliers out there? Uh, social... 
It's a bit more of a fluid situation. Mm. It's the impact an organization organization has on, well, the society inside right. and outside. So mm. your direct workforce, your workers in supply chains and uh, communities in areas which you operate. operate. So, um, you know, an oil and gas company that operates off a certain beach and, you know, it gets yeah. a bit dirty. How do you deal with that? How does that impact your scoring? And then governance. Um, really, really important, right? Because you can... Um, you can't really trust these kind of scorings if governance isn't very good, right? Because you could be prettying up the numbers a little bit uh, too, uh, yeah. So leadership structure of an organization, are you consolidating too much power? Is there enough separation of powers? When you look at policies and procedures in place, uh, are there enough to not just uh, guide, but enforce ethical ways of management, of management practices, and how that impacts people and the environment. So the full scope of an ESG strategy examines not only how an organization is presently performing in these areas, but also how it plans to meet future targets uh, for improvement and long-term resiliency. I think that's something we often miss, right? right? Because it's like, oh, how can an oil and gas company be ESG? Well, it's not about just today, although right. today is important. It's also about the tangible plans it's laying in place to reach its carbon neutral goals and all those other things. Because it, it, it didn't happen overnight, so it can't happen overnight too, right? Oh, that, right. That's one thing, right? But Although uh, they do say um, it's easy, it, you, you fall quicker than uh, how long it takes you to get back up. Right. right. You know, so so <laughs> when, when you hear all this as well, so not just environment, it's other factors as well. Uh, the good news is that a quarter of all sustainable investing is through ESG integrated funds, far outpacing all other sustainable investment strategies. In fact, ESG investing grew 143% between between 2016 and 2020. Now, whether with this is the whole world, we're going to break it down regions later. Uh, and, and ESG goes beyond what standard financial assess, assessments offer by taking a closer, closer look, as you mentioned, through the, the ESG factors, right? So businesses that incorporate ESG as a regular part of doing business are therefore more attractive to investors since the broader scope of data provides a more accurate reading of financial risk and opportunity. Yes, so that's ESG. Mm. Now you have SRI. Yes. Different. Mm. Socially responsible investing. Um, also used to screen uh, processes that allow investors, it's used as a screening process, sorry, to allow investors, again, to grade, to uh, to evaluate uh, independently investments that they have based on ethical considerations and socially responsible behavior. So not strictly by the environmental social governance uh, factors we were talking about earlier. Now, while the criteria in SRI may overlap with some of those ESG criteria we talked about earlier, there are no um, metric-based assessments carried out. So rather, what we're looking at here within SRI strategy takes into account ethical considerations. Right. So charitable activity in, of an organization, production of goods and materials that may be seen as socially harmful, such as tobacco. Um, <laughs> are you a weapons manufacturer? Sure. You know, right. um, All these different things that may be... A, that add to the nuance. So we were talking mm. about earlier, like, so if you are a weapons manufacturer, but you score, you're green, right? <laughs> you, you're, you're, you treat your workers well and you do well on governance. Right. Is You may score well on the ESG sector, but when it comes to SRI, mm. you may not score as well there. So okay. it really depends on what your mandate for a fund is. Ultimately, the difference uh, between ESG and SRA is ESG is an objective measure of an organization's uh, impact on environment, social and governance behaviours, while SRI is a more nuanced, subjective criteria which is used to help an investor rate social responsibility of an organisation. Uh, these investment strategies can be used in tandem uh, 
to optimize investments in socially responsible organizations that have a greater yield potential. So basically, the golden here, the Venn diagram is you have ESG and SRI together. Right. Okay. And and also at the same time, right, I think like it's also very personal sometimes for for some people what they... uh, What is ethical? What's ethical, right? So that kind of thing. So anyway, I was just looking through in Malaysia, we have about close to 60 SRI funds. Mm. Um, You know, there's wholesale and then there's also retail right now. Now, ESG as a regulatory tool then, the popularity of ESG and SRI investment funds has led several governing bodies to adopt regulations requiring uh, ESG reporting. The US, EU and several Asia-Pacific countries are leading the way. Uh, So the EU is leading the way with both propose and enforce ESG reporting requirements in effort to drive industries in a region to meet 2030 and 2050 climate goals. Uh, The US, the social factors within ESG have been at the forefront of policy coming out of industry and government. Changes coming out of the Asia-Pacific region reflect some of the urgent climate issues faced by member countries, as well as a push for more sustainable investment portfolio opportunities. So when we look at the regulation situation here, or using ESG and these kind of frameworks, the kind of craft, that kind of regulation, uh, what the outcomes seem to be focused on a few things, right? Mm. So one is um, reducing corporate greenwashing and creating more transparency around the activities that corporates deem as sustainable, right? right. So are you actually helping the environment or are you trying to look like you're helping <laughs> the environment? <laughs> okay. uh, increasing due diligence around human rights, environmental and social issues across the value chain. So not so much just whether you are doing good mm. and you are keeping things clean, but oh, are, are your suppliers doing good? Or are you just outsourcing the bad stuff? So your books look clean, but you're letting yes. someone else take the fall, right? Hold the bag for you. Um, we're also looking at increasing mandatory disclosures and creating a more stringent definitions of sustainability activities. This is really, really important, right? Mm. Because when you're trying to enforce standards, what is green in one country may not be green in another yeah. country. What is defined as sustainable differs. Uh, and con- considering the fact that bureaucracies um, need these kind of standardizations, but it takes time to build this up. So this is where I guess people are latching on to more objective standards like ESG to, to make it make things simpler. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, requiring more organizations to participate in ESG disclosures. So as more pressure builds for companies and organizations to have some kind of ESG disclosures, you start to see more data come out. And then, you know, right. peer, hopefully we're tapping into peer pressure here to get more companies to uh, publish this information. And then later on, we can audit to make sure that, you know, it's actually in line with what they're doing. Right. And, and just basically, I guess, be better organizations. So, uh, you know, the single, I guess, most important takeaway for companies exploring ESG and socially responsible investing is the potential to create value. So by voluntarily implementing an ESG strategy, prioritizing any risk and mitigation efforts and creating a framework for fewer success, your organization will already have added value in the eyes of investors. And I think that's what people are looking at in the future. Uh, up next, uh, after these messages, we have Rina Neo, the partner and co-founder of Ficus Venture Capital with his flagship, a 60 million ringgit fund, Ficus C, which is the world's first share compliant venture capitalist. Talking to us a little bit more about this. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, we do want to know your thoughts around this. You know, when you want to invest, do you look at your returns? You don't care? <laughs> or, you know, you do care? Uh, let us know. Uh, WhatsApp 018-789-8809 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Stay tuned to Enterprise Plus Bikes, BFM 89.9. Better Finance Management, BFM 89.9.
Good afternoon. This is Frida Liu together with me, Roshan Kanesan. Roshan Kanesan. And uh, of course, you're listening to Enterprise Business Advice. Today, we're talking about investing sustainably. You know, earlier on, we were talking about ESG investments and SRI, what's the difference and all that, right? And I think uh, we have a question for you as well. When you're looking at investing, uh, does it matter that, you know, are you just looking for returns you, or, or are you concerned about when, when investing uh, with companies that are a little bit more responsible? Let us know your thoughts, right? You can let us know via WhatsApp 018789 tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, we have a guest here to explain a little bit more. Rina Neo, partner and co-founder of Ficus Venture Capital uh, with his flagship 60 uh, million ringgit fund. Ficus C is the world's first Sharia compliant venture capitalist looking for revolutionary, sustainable and purpose-driven startups that are bringing impact to the ES- to ESG in a sustainable way. So, uh, thanks for joining us, Rina. Good afternoon, um- Frida, Roshan, thanks for having me. All right. So anyway, the, uh, this was announced a couple of months ago. How's the response been to, to this fund? Um, I would say it's an exciting journey for us, but it's also been challenging. As you guys know, um, you know, limited partners or investors are actually, you know, probably holding on mm. uh, because there's a term called winter. Um, so as a fund manager, <laughs> yeah, so we are braving the winter. Uh, hopefully, you know, we're, we're still staying alive. So it's good news. Um, so for as a fund, as a flagship fund, mm. uh, of course, the challenges is uh, when you go to an investor, uh, people want to see track record, mm. just like any other startups. But my uh, pitch to everyone is like, um, you know, we're a startup fund, but uh, if you look at the people behind the fund, we have got individual track records, right? So uh, myself, I've invested uh, since 2006. This is, uh, FICUS is the first flagship fund in Malaysia, but people who know me uh, uh, probably know that I've started investing and I have a boutique fund based out of Singapore. Uh, But, you know, uh, you can pitch to a thousand investors, just mm-hmm. like any startups, but uh, probably if you're lucky, you get one or two that actually want to give you a chance. Um, we have pitched to GLCs, but like any other um, companies or funds that invest, we have a team, a mandate mm-hmm. or a criteria. So, uh, for example, GLCs that we pitch to, hopefully institutional investors that come in, they will say, oh, we don't invest in a local VC or we don't invest in a first-time fund. Mm. So the wait and see. Same goes for us as VC. Uh, sometimes we wait and see. That's why we pay a premium. Mm-hmm. We're not an angel investors that take the first uh, step and take more risk. Of course, you invest at a lower valuation. Yeah, because it's part of that de-risking situation as well, right? The longer you wait, the mm. less risk, because the less likelihood of failure. But you're still taking in quite a bit of risk if you come in even in Series A, B. Of course. That sort of situation. Um, 60 million ringgit as a fund is not the largest fund, but also not a small amount of money there. Um, what kind of potential uh, for deal making are you looking at here in Southeast Asia in line with your mandate? Well, I think Southeast Asia is really a growing market. So we have, you know, almost 700 million people and it's home to many uh, emerging markets. You know, uh, just look at Indonesia, Philippines and Vietnam. You know, 10 years ago, they were, you know, unheard of any tech companies coming out there. But when they come out, it's like mushrooms after a rainfall, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the fund is actually, of course, is uh, domicile in Malaysia, is mm-hmm. registered with Securities Commission. But we understand that um, while we want to help Malaysian startups as a fund, as a venture capitalist, our primary objective is to return 
a decent um, profit to our investors. That is the number one, mm. right? Okay. Of course, if we choose to do good uh, with that investment, it's, it's good to have. So I think that is why we we are, when we have a, a team for our fund, is an ESGI fund. Coming back to what you said, right? ESG is basically a broader objective mm. of measuring, you know, if the company is doing good. But for FICUS, because we are Sharia compliant, which is the SRI, Socially mm. responsible investing. So we have that Sharia component. Mm. So it's actually a Venn diagram. That's the right <laughs> description. So right. what are you looking for then when you go out there and you're looking at pitches that are coming to you? Um, obviously, there is a certain demographic committee with a 60 million fund that you have. Um, what is it that you are, that you want to, That what kind of companies do you want to invest in? So we primarily look at tech companies. Mm -hmm. So tech companies, uh, obviously, they have probably lesser, uh, you know, e-concern, which, you know, they don't, if software, there's not much of a harm to environment. But as you know, startup, uh, there's a saying that most startup, you know, fail, uh, Mm. you know, nine out of 10. Um, And based on my personal experience, and of course, statistics, some of them actually fail because of the G part of it, Mm. right? Then you ask yourself, um, you know, why actually enforce an ESG, uh, you know, compliance into startup when startups are not mo- concerned <laughs> is actually economic survival. Do they have time to actually prepare the report? Yeah. Uh, so for us, we take a different uh, outlook. We said, when you invest in a startup as a VC, you're hoping to uh, have the private equity or you're planning uh, for the company to go IPO. And if you look at all the private equity, na- uh, CVC, Navis and all this, they are mandating their portfolios to be ESG compliant. Mm. Of course, it's not easy to enforce, but they are able to show that companies with ESG compliance are actually getting a better valuation, especially if you're selling to um, maybe a, phila- a, a family office mm. where the second and third generations are looking beyond just financial returns. Mm. Yeah, They obviously need to make money to maintain, but they're also looking at doing good. Right. You know, uh, in the, your, your news announcement, you, of course, you've invested in Eclimo, which does the EV bikes, and also Assembler Indonesia, right? Now, when you look at how you've invested in them, do, how, do they, how do they fit into the ESG space in that case? So we predominantly look at, so in FICUS, we have a process, just like any other VC. So in FICUS, there are 10 steps of investment from looking at a deal to uh, doing, uh, finally deploying the money. We have uh, steps. Mm. So um, when we look at it, that we look at the four uh, quadruple bottom line. So we look at people, we look at, of course, um, the planet, we look at the profit, and lastly, the principles. So we have designed our uh, due diligence process to actually have a checklist on each of the steps when we are discovering the company. So mm. my analyst would you know, probably have the first round of checklists and then it goes to uh, partners, myself mm. and Hidayat, um, to actually run through the checklist. Why we do that is because we believe that if we invest in this company, it is, of course, not a mandatory because right. they are not even listed yet. But I personally believe that if a company truly understands, uh, you know, uh, how important it is being sustainable and they actually intertwine this with their business strategy, right. it will do good for them in future. Because right. like why last minute when you need 
a bigger money and they mandate or even bank financing say you must be ESG compliant. Right. So start them early uh, is a good practice. Right. And, and do you feel that ESG and, you know, and Sharia, compl- the compliance, right? And sh- ESG and Sharia, and they, do you feel they're very intertwined? Um, I think they are. They yeah. are intertwined in a, in a way that um, both uh, shares a, some similar principles, like a good steward to society. And um, for us, it's, you know, uh, uh, prevention of harm and uh, attainment of benefits, for example. So, mm-hmm. for example, if we are going to categorize our due diligence, Right, um, there is when we do our assessment, we will have like ESGI entry means mm-hmm. the company generally do no harm, right? right. And then there's an ESGI intermediate where you do no harm with a good foundation, mm. so you actually de risk. Right. right, and then of course ESGI advance is do no harm but also do good. For right. example, um, we have uh, p- companies that is. Uh, for example, Aclimo, our investi company. Mm. Every bike that they put on the road and every bike that runs 100 kilometer actually are you know, uh, taking 7 kg of CO2 mm. out of the environment. Right. So this is a company that actually do good, mm. right? Okay. All right. And we'll continue our conversation a little bit more. And of course, the other hat you wear, which is the section of the ESG Association of Malaysia. Uh, I'm here with uh, Rina Neal, part and co-founder of FICA's Venture Capital. Uh, stay tuned to Enterprise Biz Bites, BFM 89.9. Birkins for Mama, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Frida Liu together with Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Enterprise Biz Bikes. We've been talking about ESG and SRI and we know where you're putting your money. And if you it concerns you where you're investing is with, you know, I guess, sustainable companies or uh, companies that comply with ESG standards. Uh, we have Rina Neo, the partner and co-founder of FICA's Venture Capital with us. Uh, they've got a flagship 60 million ringgit fund, FICA C, which is the world's first Sharia compliant venture capitalist looking for revolutionary, sustainable and purpose-driven startups that are bringing impact to the ESG to ESG in a sustainable way. So, you know, uh, we've been talking about what you've been doing as well. What, what sort of support and mentorship, you know, does FICUS Capital provide to its portfolio companies beyond the financial investments? Is there any form of guidance to ensure they stay on track with ESG principles? I know you touched on that a little later, a little earlier, but maybe you can elaborate further. Uh, thanks, Frida, for that question. I think... Uh there are many VCs around, you know, uh, and of course, as a VC, we have to find our own niche. And uh, I guess for FICUS is uh, obviously for any good company is the people behind it. Mm. So I must say that uh, my team, we're not young. We have uh, done our, you know, corporate rounds. We've done our investment round. But um, like myself, I bring a lot of um, probably uh, experience and, and network around the region. As an angel investor, um, my other partners are more corporate person. Um, they work in PNB and our chairman is uh, his last job before he decided to join the startup ecosystem was the group CEO of Maybank Asset Management. Mm. So that uh, combination of, you know, being able to source or to actually smell the deal from a early stage to actually guide them through the journey um, to hopefully listing, which, you know, eventually uh, listing or M&A exercise is important. Right. Because every venture capital's dollar is the same. Mm. Right. But um, when startups do not have a choice, they take any money. But startups who are more, um, I I guess, resourceful, they look for smart money. 
Mm. Yes. Okay. So what they knew that just money is not enough. What they know and what they want, um, you know, is now investors that can help them fill the gap, right? Or investors that can actually help them grow or scale in the other regions. Mm. Yeah. So Monday is World Environment Day. So out of in leading up mm. to that, I'd be curious to know when you speak to potential investors, how much of a selling point is your mandate as an SRI or or more environmental friendly investing? How much of that is a material selling point uh, when you are going out to get investors? Does ESG sell uh, and do people care about the environment? I would say 50-50. I'm being very practical. Um, Depending on uh, who you talk to. So obviously, since we have got the ESGI, we wouldn't be spending time uh, to talk to someone, uh, an investor that you know is purely going for returns. Mm. So obviously, for example, if I go and talk to very, very uh, traditional businessmen, Tansri's of the world, (laughs) (laughs) they will say, you know, no problem, 5 million, but I want 51% of your company, right? And uh, some said, oh, okay, sure, I can invest, but I want to also be your co-GP. Okay. Meaning like the Tansri's (laughs) will then evaluate the startups, right? So of course we don't. But what we are seeing and we are learning, especially for investors in Malaysia, um, we have a better chance talking to IT uh, business owners. They understood how IT works. Uh, they are not brick and mortar, uh, you know, businessmen. So, but to the big brick and mortar businessmen, I have a very simple layman term to tell them, um, you know, why they should invest. In, I said. We have gone past the time where land grabbing and building assets on ground. Right. Look at the tech investors. They are building assets on the cloud. Mm. So I'm not asking you to put all your money. You can park it with your private banker. Just take your little interest, (laughs) your guaranteed interest and try it out. Because the next uh, startup that's pitching uh, to a VC, not necessarily Ficus, could be your son and your grandson. Right. But what takes them and what gets them irritated or you know fear <laughs> of losing out is that they want to understand technology mm. and they don't. So they cannot communicate with the next generation. Right. So the, the secret, I mean, you know, is to say that um, if I bring you these startups, not only you're investing, but you can look at the technology that potentially could help your own company. Right. For example, a shipping mm. company, mm. right? It's brick and mortar, a mining mm. company. But there's so many technologies that can do, uh, you know, a cleaner mining process, mm. a better. So they look at it differently. Right. You know, uh, earlier on, we we're talking uh, based on a report that ESG investing grew 143% uh, between 2016 and 2020. Now, how much of that is from Asia Pacific is a question. But, you know, how do you see the foresee the evolution of ESG investing or SRI in the next five to 10 years, particularly in Southeast Asia, right? And how, I guess, is FICA's capital positioning itself to adapt to these changes? Obviously, you've introduced this fund, but how else are you, you know, moving in this direction? I think... Um Southeast Asia is obviously growing. Um, uh, as for sustainable report, uh, investing, I think it still uh, will need some time before um, our limited partners or our investors actually picked up the momentum. So, of course, FICUS, we are the first ESGI. You know, being the first is first mover advantage, mm. but also 
you'll be thrown lots of questions because you're the first, right? But uh, since we've decided to take that path, uh, we have, uh, you know, the best uh, way to show our investors that we have actually uh, make a right decision is uh, our portfolio companies, right? If our portfolio companies is able to get the next, uh, if we're able to exit in a better valuation, uh, at the same time, we're able to tell our investors that, hey, you know, mm. it's not that the money that we promise to return you, but in doing so, for example, like take Assembler. Assembler is an edutech company. Mm. Obviously, uh, we like them because in, in the midst of COVID, uh, education stops. Everybody right. needs to be online. But what they're doing, you know, uh, creating this platform of uh, making AR and VR so accessible to teachers, mm. it has actually created a lot of impact in the areas of education because I own a preschool and my teachers are struggling to actually show PowerPoints to Mm. five, six years old kids. The kids need simulation. They need to see things in 3D and being able to just use your normal laptop without a heavy specs laptop, without the knowledge of coding, you're able to actually create objects and they have created more than 2 million objects, user-generated contents that Mm. people can use and plug and play. So the impact they have created on society, on education is actually, I don't know how to measure this, but I know it's there. Mm. I know you have a particular interest in education yourself. Yes. Yeah. Um, Rina, maybe we can wrap up with your different hat here, right? Which is the Secretary General for the relatively young ESG Association of Malaysia. Uh, when you take a look at the country, um, what's the level of maturity now uh, in terms of ESG? And what needs to be looked into more urgently, right, to push this along? Right. So uh, this is um, the association is relatively new. We are just barely a year old. Um, the reason why we, uh, you know, corporate leaders come together is because there are many things that is grey, hmm. and this area is at its infancy, but it's growing. So it's like a tsunami coming. Right. Not that we are all. None of us. I I can't pinpoint an expert. Mm. in in this area because it's growing every day. So I actually coined a word. It's actually a gig economy. It's grey, it's as it's as <laughs> infancy and it's growing. So you know we have to embrace it. So um for us it's about providing a platform for people who have Run, uh, gone through the journey like the big MNCs uh, so we have um, corporate members like uh, you know MNCs that have gone through and have the resources to have a sustainability team but more importantly we we want to help the SMEs that do not have access to these resources right and Malaysia is export oriented mm. and when we talk about you know which scope are you measuring um, just now you know you said uh arms, weaponry, and all this, right? Um, it's about the supply chain eventually. Okay. So uh, while we're not being measured on scope three yet, but our SMEs are the little suppliers to all these big companies. Mm. So unless you do not trade with the West, you don't care. If you are a Penang company, you're selling to Gadar, Johor, is fine, right? But if you're exporting, it's important. So the association wants to be a platform we do not claim we know everything, but if a group of people coming together to discuss, mm. then you will actually take away the fear, you collaborate, and you basically you know, uh, get the best what fits your um, company. Because right. whatever is good for your company, you know, who are you comparing with? 
Is right. it your neighbor? Is it in Singapore? Is it in Indonesia? Is it the world? Exactly, exactly. Thanks for being with us, Rina. I'm afraid we've run out of time. Uh, Rina Neal, partner and co-founder of Ficus Venture Capital, uh, talking a little bit about uh, the 60 million ringgit fund, the Ficus scene, also, you know, where we are when it comes to ESG uh, investing and also SRI investing. So we were saying earlier on it was uh, World uh, Environment Day on June 5th, but today is actually no, World No <laughs> Smoking, No Tobacco Day. Uh, and the this year's theme for World No Tobacco Day is Grow Food, Not Tobacco. Uh, and this is happening at a Replay of the Breakfast Grill after news at 1pm. Azrul Mohamed Khalid, the CEO of Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy, and Ben Yudan, Director at Ash New Zealand, uh, will be on talking about lessons they can learn from New Zealand to get to smoke-free 2025 and their stance on vaping products all happening after the news at 1pm. Free to live together with Roshan Karnison, Enterprise Bispikes, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.